you have to, I guess, balance the balance that expertise with understanding that you are creating uh, architecture for others. Like that's almost the definition that it is. It's the design process, but it's always targeted for others. It's not for us. I'm John Lewis, and you're listening to 360 Degree City, a podcast where we talk to people who are working to make cities better. Our hope is that after each episode, you'll start to see your own city from a slightly different angle. We took a short break from the City Builder series last week to have some conversations about how COVID-19 is impacting our cities. But now the series continues. We've released over 40 episodes of 360 Degree City so far, covering a crazy range of topics from cycling to public art to urban agriculture and much, much more. While we've explored issues and topics related to cities, we thought it'd be helpful to spend some time focusing on the different actors that impact the building of our cities. So we've developed a multi-part series where I talk to different city builders about what they do, why they do it, and the unique approaches and challenges that their professions or perspectives represent. Our hope is that by the end of the series, you'll have some new perspectives on these actors and how to work with them, whether you're a seasoned city builder yourself or you're just starting to explore the complexity of our communities. This episode is about the architect. I had the opportunity to sit down with two of Canada's leading architects. So hi, I'm uh, Johanna Herme, principal and uh, partner at 5468796 Architecture. And Sasha Radulovic, the same. In our conversation, we discuss what it means to be an architect, the best of what architecture can bring to city building, and some problematic practices of the profession. So let's dive in. And I have to ask, uh, because folks will, will, will ask, and I'm sure you've answered this a million times, how did you come up with the name of your company? Yes, we've definitely answered a million times, <laughs> but it is our, is our business incorporation number. But the, the real idea behind it is that we didn't want to be named after the after the founders or principals of the company so that our, our crew, our teammates would feel like they're part of it and it can be, it can be um, sort of more of a collective um, effort. Um, but it is marking the sort of time in history in which, you know, you could get this number from the company's office in 2007 <laughs> in Manitoba. <laughs> Terrific. That's, uh, yeah, that, that rings true. That's why uh, Intelligent Futures exists and not uh, John Lewis, Inc. <laughs> uh, okay, so with the, with the City Builder series, we're trying to uh, dive into the various uh, roles and experiences and insights gained by the various actors. So today, obviously, we're going to be talking about architecture. So uh, maybe let's start with the absolute basics for folks that have a sense of it, but don't really understand what architecture is. So what is architecture? Well, we've been we talked about this a little bit beforehand, and um, I think that for the last forty five years, in my case. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, in certain terms, of how the academic uh, sort of world defines it is the design of the built environment, and so that encompasses a lot of things. Um, so, but what we've concluded from that is that maybe the way to highlight what the difference is to some of the other professions in design is that it's always based on the experience. So mm. it's not about designing objects necessarily, even though that's sometimes part of it, but whatever you're doing, uh, whether it's at the urban scale or whether it's a building scale or, or interior scale, that it is should involve a human experience. And that's the defining factor. And, and then, of course, we design, we, uh, we have technical solutions to things so that builders can build and so on. And... Um, and then, of course, there's anything from advocating to uh, to selling ideas to being highly technical expert in some areas of the 
of that um, of the profession. Hmm. But so- there's there's a big difference between architecture and building, right? And I think that's that often gets uh, gets confused. Uh, the building being the act of constructing, but it, architecture is more about making human experiences. And I think, yeah, we can't stress uh, stress it harder that the, the architecture is not only about design. And the you know design is often centered around an object and its functionality. The when we think about architecture, it is about um, it is about a space, and therefore it takes over the entire realm of experience rather than um, rather than purely uh, the, the way we interact with an, with an object. We had a lengthy conversations on a weekend uh, about the uh, you know, question that can object uh, provide an experience. It certainly can. When you think of an iPhone or an iPad or, or a computer, each one of them can actually take you away somewhere else, right, and provide a different experience. However, none of them are. Uh, you're sorry, not inhabiting the you're space. You're not inhabiting it, mm. right? So it is a unique in that in that way. And understanding scale, I think it takes longer than a, than a, than a human's life to understand the scale and light and you know the way the air moves and all of that. And so that's multisensory, I, I guess, yes. is what we're trying to say is. How you perceive a beautiful space. Um, You kind of know when you're in it, but then what it takes to actually know what the elements are that you can replicate an experience or you can create a new one. That's the art of architecture. And it's very annoying uh, when you're like, (laughs) even for trained minds to do that, when we move through the city, we we sort of bounce over over objects, right? Especially North American city. It's, It's very rare where you kind of find yourself inhabiting um, inhabiting a space rather than uh, rather than considering each each building on its own merits, mm. and that that particular particularly good sort of mix and take, takes an ego to be taken out um, and so on. So they of the conversation, and then so yeah, I don't know where else to to take that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think that's that's a really fascinating way to to frame it and, and to think about the experience in all manners, uh, all manner that it that it that it can manifest itself, and you can you can experience it. So perhaps maybe maybe we can dive into um, if you can describe kind of your process and what it is you do to understand uh, what the experiences could be and then design for that uh, intentionally. Um, maybe if you can use a story of a project that you're particularly proud of to, to, to kind of illustrate that. I think th- it's very simple. Again, it builds on what we just said. It, it Every time we're able to divorce ourselves from designing a building, but designing a space in between buildings, um, we feel that we're onto something and that the, uh, well, you know, while the facades of our buildings do define the space in between buildings, they are, um, you know, when you think of them as, as, as a city building, uh, elements rather than, rather than just the ways to enclose uh, a room, then you're, then we're onto something. That's what gets us excited. Right. Hmm. And it's, it's off. Our work is generally process oriented, which sounds washed out, but it's it's so we let it unfold. And the uh, more mature we are in our process, the uh, more um, or less we can imagine what it what looks like in the beginning, and and further we're sort of divorced from it in the end. The more we know that the process led us there, and the happier right. we we tend to get. And we're more comfortable the with the process taking us somewhere where we're not comfortable. So in in our mm. process, like we started off. 
it, it was generally, you know, what gets us to a point where we think something is right. But the, uh, these days, more and more, so we're interested in being at places that are not making us comfortable. And I, that's going to take a, a that takes a lot of effort to get out there and do that. And we're nowhere near. It's only happened a few times, and we were really surprised by what, what came out of the process. And said so we would never go here. We would never get here if we did not let the process lead us here. But mm. if we if we our own tastes or pre-imagined sort of notions about what something should be. And maybe as a, as a project um, specific example of that, um, I would maybe highlight on the urban scale a project that we've been working on here in Winnipeg for quite a few years now. It's called the Railside Master Plan, and it is an 11-acre um, site that we were working together with Scott Miller Murray um, planners and landscape architects on and sort of a concept plan or of a new neighborhood. And it tends to really kind of culminate our thinking about what the, what the, what our city, Winnipeg and, and many of the North American cities are lacking in terms of that human experience and the, and the, the sense of scale and, and streetscape that has been given over to, um, to cars and to uh, getting from point A to point B, as opposed to really the stickiness and in, uh, you know, lingering in the city that we think is so vital for, for good urban spaces. Mm. Um, and I think that started from us going to visit other cities and, and always asking people the question, even the CEO of this, uh, the, the Forks North Portage uh, Development Corp, that is the client, um, as to you know, like, what are the good experiences that you remember um, in cities and like, what were they like? And then actually taking them there on a trip to, to see some of those things. And, and, and this particular trip was concentrated on the Northern climate, um, cities. So Scandinavia mostly. Um, and, uh, and then sometimes somehow pinpointing when we're in a good space, you know, cause these are the elements that are around us. This is the scale that we're experiencing. This is the sort of surfaces or textures or materials we're experiencing and, and so on. Um, and, and I guess it's always trying to be empirical in that sense that we're trying to put our head, his headspace there. And, and, and sometimes, you know, if it's, if it was a building site project, then we want to be on the site and actually see it and feel it and, and kind of get the sense of that in person. And then a long process on the rail side project then led us to, let us do a place where we have a very solid document about what those components are and are able to spell that out to, to others. And, and obviously proof is still in the, in the pudding to come mm. because we're waiting for this project to really be realized. But, um, that was a real evolution and it, it took a lot of players to, to get there. But I think we're optimistic. Well, it was actually, which is kind of contradictory to what we do day to day was trying to say, well, the architecture doesn't matter. Of individual building doesn't matter. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, which is for North American context where, you know, every building is a hero <laughs> or the way, the way we build cities, uh, every building has to sort of is a 360 degree experience. You're not, you're rarely building a city. And for us, uh, for, for ever, ever since we started engaging in architecture as five or six, it's always been um, this knowledge that an understanding that every building we build um, affects everybody else that not only people that use it, but people that pass by it or see it or experience it uh, mm. um, once or on a daily basis. And the, we need to understand how that building 
performs and figures in the city and how does the city uh, affect the performance or the, the being of a particular building or a set of buildings. And the, uh, so that's always been sort of central, central to our thinking, so we don't think of them as pure objects. Um, John, if I, just from the macro scale, one more quick thing is that um, then when I think about the micro scale, the other really memorable experience on a project has been the fact that we have to also remember that we are designing homes and places for individual people. And in this case, uh, we're working on something called the Ross Avenue um, condos, and they were the first condominiums, I guess, that were built for low-income families um, in Winnipeg hmm. and by, by the uh, Winnipeg Housing Rehab Corp. Um, and then I, one day we were just, we walked into a local bar here and there was a woman who jumped up and, and came to us and said, oh my God, oh my God, you guys are my architects. And we were completely <laughs> confused we never met this woman. And she was one of the you know, really grateful sort of uh, owners of the 10 condos that got built in this little project. And she was just so pumped that, uh, you know, somebody had taken the care in her mind to design her a really good home. And then wow. it just sort of brings back as to what the purpose of our profession is. And, and really when it boils down to it, like that's what we're, that's the business of architecture. And, and it was such a privilege that I was kind of teary eyed after the meeting and, <laughs> home for me. Uh, that's amazing. And, and uh, so, so it really, it really sounds like the, um, the idea of with the experience in mind, you're always having to, um, understand and I guess at times translate, uh, scales in order to achieve, uh, the desired experience or experiences, um, for folks, whether it's a, you know, moving through a neighborhood or an individual home. Is that, is that a, is that the kind of, when you're, when you mention scale, is that the kind of, uh, I guess, navigation that, that you're always challenged with on your projects? Well, there's that, but there's also the scale is a very interesting thing because the, the, it, it, you can have too much of something or you can have not enough. And the, uh, and it's, and I think it relates back to stickiness that Johanna's talking mm. about. You don't have the right amount of whatever it is that, that, that turns the place into a more successful than, than generic, right? Then you, you sort of, you're always playing with the scale and the scale of everything, the scale of detail, all right? The, the amount of details, the number of details, the scale of, scale of experiences and the scale of, scale of space and air and volume and light and so on. So it is, it is a constant in architects, sort of hand is an arsenal. It's a, it's, it's a tool that's always there, but you always have to be, have to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're going to talk about the uh, kind of expertise, the best kind of expertise that architecture brings to the process of city building. So if, if you can um, expand on that, but I, one thing that's interesting from our conversation so far is that there seems to be this theme of humility uh, interwoven with the arch the architectural expertise from from your perspective in terms of um, you know you're saying in in the certain kind of project the architecture doesn't matter or you're removing your ego so you can let the process guide you and that's that's a, an interesting tension I've observed uh, in in a lot of professions actually is is just the idea of expertise is so important, but it also, uh, can get in the way at times. So, um, you know, from your perspective, when we're thinking about how we build our cities, what's the best kind of expertise that, that architecture and architects bring to the, to the process? 
Well, I think you're right about the humility of it, like that that you have to, I guess, balance the balance that expertise with understanding that you are creating uh, architecture for others. Like that's almost mm. the definition that it is. It's the design process, but it's always targeted for others. It's not for us. And so I, I think that's you know carries that humility as part of it. And and I, I think where the expertise lies is in trying is is the ability to. And not always do we get it, but generally we have the capacity to know what the components are that make for good cities. Whereas I would think maybe an average citizen can can tell you when they're what what is their most memorable or urban experience, and they can say, well, when I was in I don't know Paris or I was in Bangkok or whatever, like something felt good and felt right, but they wouldn't be able to necessarily replicate the pieces that that are required to mm. to get that experience work. Right, and so that. Have a tendency to to know those things or have the capacity to know those things, but it still obviously sometimes goes horribly wrong, um, and uh, you know there are many parts in history where that's happened over time, um, and so just remembering that it is not sort of all encompassing expertise that other people and other professionals and other fields have a lot to contribute to that, and knowing kind of what our part is in that is really important. You know what the uh, the other I, I think the other thing that that we observe is and I mean it happens to us we we try to catch it when it does but the because architects often get uh, or often fall in love with something that we imagine way too early mm. and yeah and the it does but it doesn't you know it does when it doesn't go through the scrutiny of of. And I don't know if anybody will admit to this, but it does, if it doesn't go through the scrutiny of the process internally, it's likely not ready to meet the street. And the uh, and and we often see that, and and it's very objectified, and it's it's often sort of feature centric. And the uh, architecture that that many of our colleagues fall in love with is sort of um, you can feel that it hasn't gone through the thinking of what it does to, for the city. Yeah, but we get accused of that too. Oh, for sure. I mean, lots of times I, you know, for example, our project uh, called 62M is, is the outcome is fairly iconic. Like it's, it's a round building on stilts hovering above uh, a freeway coming from the north to the, to the downtown in Winnipeg. And people think that it was some sort of an eco trip to, to do that. But then when you actually go back to the process then you know that the reason it's on stilts is that there's no street frontage. It was blocked behind buildings developer was asking us to be able to do housing on that site, which requires that you have views and you're a little bit lifted away from the highway and things like that. And then once we lifted on stills, it required us to save money on every other part of the project. And the, mm-hmm. and the sort of particular envelope was the cheapest thing, the most efficient thing that we could do to get the most amount of perimeter, which means the most amount of suites and least amount of corridor in the inner circle of that, at that donut. For example, so if you follow those kinds of logics, that's what the process gives you. Mm-hmm. And then um, at least we, in our, in our group, you know, call each other out when we think somebody's on an ego trip and just falling down the stairs. So they have to go through that scrutiny. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really speaks to like, uh, the, again, the balance, you know, it, it's so interesting when I, when I talk with my architectural colleagues, the, the balancing act that you have to, to make of, you know, like you're describing what the, what the developer, 
uh, is aiming for, but then also you're having to balance the the context that you're given. And so that that's kind of speaks to the, the processes, the ability, you know, the, the importance of the process to guide you through to figure out where those balancing points are and to, to navigate that. And, and also like a civic responsibility, which we feel that we have. Um, so it's not only just to the client, but it, we have a responsibility to build good environments for mm-hmm. everybody. And people who see the building aren't necessarily in any way a stakeholder other than being a citizen of the, of the place. Mm-hmm. And, and so if, if we go to the, uh, the dark side, <laughs> um, what, what do you see as the most problematic contributions or practices that architecture has brought to city building over the years? I think we've touched on two of them already. Mm-hmm. One would be in my sort of forgetting the thousand years of human history uh, during the Moran era when we were designing for the cars um, <laughs> and, uh, and sort of forgetting what's comfortable universally for people or what sort of scale and what type of environment and what kind of interactions. And now we're getting back to understanding that or reminding ourselves of that at least. And I think the other one would be that just the people, you know, buildings aren't, not every building needs to be a star. And there are a lot of good, good cities are made of background buildings and buildings that are careful and, and well done, but they don't need to be loud and they need, don't need to be attention grabbing. And, um, I think that is sometimes what's associated with, with, uh, architects and their egos is that, um, they feel that every design that they create needs to be the star of the, the pack. Mm. Are we as of that as any other? Mm-hmm. But yeah, like we need to balance that out and we have to have the humility to understand when it's the right place to do something loud and when it isn't. And when right. Sasha was talking about portions, right proportions or right scale of something, that also feeds into it. Mm. We, used, we used to say that if the, if the approach to the building is strong enough, it can easily be rendered in pink stucco. And still be great, and so that would be a measure for for success for us. We were near there, but the, that would be if you can do that. That's the robust architecture. So, do you have? So, are you, are you telling me that you have a back catalog of renderings of all your projects in pink stucco? Please tell me you do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good summer intern project. <laughs> Um, so, so if we look, uh, looking forward as we think about the future of our cities, and of course it's a weird time to be thinking about the future beyond the next three days, it seems, um, where do you think architecture needs to evolve to reflect the, the challenges that we face in our, in our cities today and tomorrow? Well, I, you probably alluded to this, but, uh, obviously nobody knows at this point what, how urban thinking is going to change as a result of COVID and and uh, and sort of what the social distancing and new understanding of human interaction will will give us. I'm hoping that it doesn't shift at all. It's it, it back to where we were 50 years ago, where people are just thinking that they need to be spread around and, and urban spaces are sort of forgotten about or put in the back burner. Or I also hope it doesn't give people excuses not to not to design good urban spaces mm. where you know, interaction with other people is is what what drives this. I think. So that's my hope, and then um, we'll see how that evolves. But mm-hmm. I'm a little bit about it, to be frank. And secondly, I think that 
one one sort of silver lining that's come out of this is really the understanding of our impact on the environment. Hmm. That you know, it's it's massive, it's massive on a daily basis. You know, that's why living perhaps more compact and and having less of a commute or or um, or just sort of generally in a, a greener approach to things is something that we all have to be responsible for. And I know that's a bit of a boilerplate answer, but I certainly feel that responsibility weighing heavy on us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, sorry, Sasha. That it's very, yeah, I only think of it as it might be very exciting without knowing what that means. But relearning or rethinking is, 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 is exciting. Although I, I am a skeptic, I don't think much will change. <laughs> but it could also be that it's an opportunity. Like disruptive things happen mm-hmm. as a result of dramatic mm-hmm. changes. Yeah. So we're always optimists, and this is a this is a profession of optimists, <laughs> definitely. Mm-hmm. So good will come out of it. I'm sure of it. Mm-hmm. Well, you have you you have to be, I think, inherently an optimist to create uh, designs and structures out of thin air. So that's uh, <laughs> it's one of, one of the professions that we can maybe look to for some, some, some new ideas and some positive, uh, positive uh, shifts uh, coming out of this chaos. Well, you're right. Well, on a very rudimentary level, like when you think of a, of a street, the, uh, either we move, remove people from the street so nobody gets infected by passing by somebody, although that's, that's more of a hoax than a, than a true or do we widen sidewalks to, to allow more people to move through it? So yeah, right. what is that, right? Mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so one of the one of the questions we're we're checking in with with all our various uh, city builders is, um, what advice would you give somebody that was interacting or working uh, with an architect? Let let's say a, a citizen that was starting to uh, interact with an architect on a project in their neighborhood. Uh, what what kind of tips would you give them to uh, constructively uh, work with you throughout through a process? Well, I would suggest that they should. They should let the architect bring the expertise that they do, but they should not be shy from bringing the expertise that they have. And they have the knowledge of their community, their neighborhood. Um, but it, more often than not, that they try to translate that knowledge into architecture. Hmm. And that's really the, uh, where architects can shine in a conversation like that if the intelligence that they get out of the community is of the right kind. But if the community is, or a community member is, you know, concentrating too much of translating what they think into architecture, that's, I think, where we're saying contrast. Well, what I mean by that, if somebody, like you can describe a community as, as, as a great place to live in, either through uh, the way you interact with people, therefore in the places that are uh, meant for that, or you can describe it by the shape of a pitched roof that is dominant in that community, right? And I think that the, the former is much more powerful to give architect or give an architect an understanding on how to reinterpret um, the place than the latter, which is purely uh, relying on, on an interpretation of architecture. Or already, an opinion. Or an opinion, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the more intelligence you can provide as a as a community member to somebody uh, without uh, and letting or to an architect and allowing architects to to sort of interlace their own uh, expertise into that, then I think you're you're, you're moving towards success. Hmm. Yeah, and and I think. I- 
I would assume that with the, you know, in your practice with the focus on, uh, experience, uh, you know, as, as a, as a true driver, uh, it's, it's a much more open conversation than if folks are showing up, you know, with a, a predetermined form, uh, for example, um, you know, the, the conversation about your experience in your life, in your neighborhood, uh, that can go any number of interesting directions as opposed to here's a thing like it or don't. <laughs> yeah, that's usually where it all boils down to, right? One side likes one thing, the other side likes the other thing. Yeah, and we can all like color blue. <laughs> yeah. And, and therefore, that's a tough conversation if, if the community member is coming to the coming to the chat with saying, like, well, I really don't like blue, you should do something else. Then that's a tough one to, to kind of justify and, uh, and, and make objective. But if we can talk about what the right experience is like, as you quite rightfully pointed out, then it's much, then we have much better sort of starting block or get to somewhere where we can we can agree and we can we can do better than the expectations hopefully yeah, yeah. but likewise architects have to be able to embrace the process right and the right. Uh, you know we've been on both sides of, of, of that conversation and the uh, often walked away as villains and the uh, or succeeded as villains or whatever you want to call it <laughs> it never feels like a full success because the uh, if we if we can navigate the conversation in a way that that we talk about what are the successes rather than limiting the height because he, okay. I, as an architect, and you know, I, that's all I do. I look up and look at buildings. <laughs> I still don't perceive buildings on a street that are taller than three stories. Like I don't, it, they're not part of my, my, um, view calm, right? Mm. You, your, your first three stories, you get it as you're walking down the street. Sure. You, you know, you perceive that there's taller buildings, but they're not part of your life. Yeah. And that's a different problem altogether. But the, the, the there are certain talking points that that should be almost removed from the conversations, mm-hmm. which are sort of the it's sort of irrelevant at some point. Yeah, for sure. Just, and it's and it's 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 just uh, yeah, and it's it it's it's pretty it's pretty rare. The 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 story you you told about uh, about your residents in your your condo building those are really. Uh, wonderful insights because so often just it's it's just the way it is because it matters to so many people it's just messy so it doesn't feel like you have any of those clean pure moments because there's so many opinions and and uh, in the mix so um but as as long as people come to the come to the table with uh uh you know the the intention of making uh, the community better then you know, then, then you're in a bit of a workable space. If folks show up and are just, uh, in yes or no mode, then that be, makes it inherently a lot more difficult. For sure. Uh, okay. So last question that we ask, uh, everybody that joins us on the podcast, uh, can you each tell me a city that you love and why you love it? Oh goodness. The, uh, the, the <laughs> name is escaping me. Um, what? <laughs> Of the city, there was the there, there was the city. I the God, it's just like two hours out of Paris that we ended up in by a fluke. A bunch of friends of mine and I, and they slept in an Airbnb and then woke up and just couldn't get enough of it as we were mesmerized. Maybe it doesn't even matter what it's called. We were mesmerized by its by its. Uh, non-special specialness and it was all about the the quality of streets and squares and even the cathedral was there but it wasn't it was special yes but it wasn't important Hmm. if you know what i mean Mm -hmm. the uh the 
place we just we just ended up like walking through it mesmerized for for three or four hours the next morning we got there very late one night um and it was just it was just remarkable because the uh it all felt right and it doesn't matter to me anywhere where it is there's there's you know there's no city that's a city in my mind it's parts of the cities that that mm. you grow mm. i grow closer to or right. attached to yeah okay Yeah, I don't know. It's hard. I agree with that, that I don't necessarily love uh, every city or love a city for its entirety. Every city has its problems and it's sort of uh, one of the most difficult kind of things to pinpoint. I mean, I have lots of favorite cities, but maybe just because it pulls my house strings, it would have to be Helsinki, which is where I was born hmm. and grew up. In. Um, and again, not a perfect city, lots of issues that, uh, you know, Every city has, but um, it does have the kind of six-story mass mostly across the city that is is feels human scale and is still it's relatively new. So there's a lot of lessons to be learned as a cold city and a cold climate city that we can take lessons from and do constantly. But um, yeah, it's it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just just like uh, just like people. Nobody's perfect, mm-hmm. but you can still love them. <laughs> but we love pieces of Calgary. We love pieces of Winnipeg. We loathe pieces of Winnipeg, right? Yeah, we, right. We, we, we love some pieces of Paris. And there's some awful parts in Helsinki, for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it is that, I, but I think that there's a different conversation, which is about love for cities or, or lack of love for cities, right? And I, I think one of the things that Johan and I can agree on is we love cities. And mm-hmm. love living in it, and the uh, never living all of the greediness and the weirdness that comes along with them. While architecture is likely the most well-known of all the city-building professions, it's one of many perspectives on the process of how our communities evolve over time. And together, these varied actors help build our communities, and they all bring unique contributions to this big puzzle of cities. If you think we missed any key points about this profession, let us know. Email us at hello at 360degree.city. Stay tuned for our next episode in the series. 360 Degree City is created by our team at Intelligent Futures. To learn more about the work we do, go to intelligentfutures.ca. I'm John Lewis. Thanks for stopping by.